It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, welcome to our Monday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan. Today, I'm joined by Mary Kay and Ellis. We're kicking off Bark Week about Odell Beckham Jr. And of course, look, like like I say off the top of the pod, we just got to get it out of the way. We're going to make the case against trading Odell Beckham Jr. And we're going to make the case for trading Odell Beckham Jr. on this pod and kind of put a price on it, too, at the very end. So you want to make sure you stick all the way to the end. Now, if you want to make sure you can read every single piece of Bark Week content, whether it was last week about Miles Garrett or this week about Odell Beckham, you got to subscribe to Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash browns. Like I always tell you, it's that big blue banner right at the top of the page. Get all your information there. Get signed up for Football Insider so you don't miss a story at cleveland.com. Okay, here we go. Our Monday podcast. And away we go here. Kicking off Bark Week for Odell Beckham Jr. Dan Lobby with Mary Kate Cabot and Ellis Williams. And today, look, we're just going to get it out of the way. We're not going to make you wait. We're not going to dance around it. If we're talking Odell Beckham Jr., we've got to talk about the potential to either trade or not trade him. So today we're going to look at the cases uh, for both. So let's just start here. Let's make the case for not trading Odell Beckham Jr. Mary Kay, if Andrew Barry gives you a call and says, Mary Kay, I'm about to make a trade. It's going to be Odell Beckham for this. Talk me out of it. What are you telling him? Well, you know, I wrote about this a couple of weeks ago because obviously this is an issue uh, that they really and truly have to deal with this offseason. Now, did they have to deal with it last season, last offseason? No. And whenever we asked Andrew Barry about it last offseason, we pretty much got the same answer. He shut us down on that. And he actually got annoyed by the continuous questions about, are you going to trade Odell Beckham Jr.? But I do think things are different this year. And Actually, he probably will be having that conversation with somebody. Maybe not talk me out of it, but I think there will be a phone conversation uh, where, where he will be actually addressing this topic this year. So if I had to talk him out of it, these are some of the things that I would say. Hey, look what happened when the Bills acquired Stephon Diggs, right? It took them from black and white to technicolor. They actually almost could have made it to the Super Bowl this year had they not had that dog of a game uh, against the Chiefs. But for the most part, Stefan Diggs really was the engine that made Josh Allen go. It was the guy he needed. He needed Stefan Diggs to take him to the next level as a quarterback. And those two guys were dynamite together. And when you look at Baker Mayfield, he really wasn't 
100% dynamite with any one guy. Now, would that guy have been Odell Beckham Jr.? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that once the lights came on for finally came on for Baker Mayfield, that Odell Beckham Jr. would have been the beneficiary of Baker Mayfield suddenly waking up in the Kevin Stefanski offense and figuring it out. And Kevin Stefanski and Alex Van Pelt, vice versa, figuring out Baker Mayfield and what to do with him, getting him out on the keepers, giving him more play action, letting him throw more to guys that he felt comfortable with, like a Richard Higgins. So I really do think that while a lot of people think that Odell Beckham Jr. leaving the lineup freed up Baker Mayfield to become who he did in those last 12 games, in which he threw 20 touchdown passes and only two interceptions down the stretch, which is an incredible stat. I think uh, that happened for other reasons, not because Odell left the lineup, but for some of the, the reasons that we talked about. So I think that those two guys would have been amazing together down the stretch. I think Odell had demonstrated that he was ready to leave it all out on the field every single game and be a, a superstar receiver. I think that's what he wanted to do. I think he showed that in the Dallas game. So I, I don't think it was because he was gone. I think it was because of those reasons that they figured out Baker and Baker figured out them. I think they could have used him against the Chiefs in that playoff game. So these are the things that I would tell Andrew if he wanted me to talk him out of it. Andrew's just gotten off the phone with Mary Kay. Now he's dialing up Ellis. Ellis, what are you going to tell him? It depends on much time I have with him. If it's an elevator <laughs> pitch, the quick message is this. Turn on the Chiefs game, Andrew. My G, you guys were slow. You were unathletic. You got punched in the mouth by defensive backs that were in your receiver's grill and you had no answer of stretching the field and breaking a play. That's all Odell Beckham Jr. does. Keep him. My long pitch is this. Mary Kay makes a great point about the transformation Baker Mayfield went through without Odell Beckham Jr. And it's really fascinating and, quite frankly, a flashpoint moment in his career. I mean, just think of that first quarter in Cincinnati. Odell tears his ACL. Baker Mayfield hasn't completed a pass. I, I mean, it felt like a, I remember thinking in my head, I might even lean over to Terry Pluto and said like, this feels like a hockey goalie situation. Like <laughs> pull Baker and just figure this out later. And he just has the yips. This doesn't look right. And then everything changed. And I get why fans correlate Odell leaving with Baker becoming a complete quarterback, but where they go too far and, and whether it's Browns fans or just any football commentator in general saying well Baker plays better without Odell I think he became that quarterback without him it loosened the pressure a little bit but that doesn't mean that he can become the best quarterback he can be without Odell I would put it this way what I saw Baker go through this year and having Odell would be like what a first year head coach who gets the that gig a little too early you know Mary Kay can attest to this Bill Belichick was in Cleveland before he was Bill Belichick of the New England Patriots. Now, I think he, from what I've read, Mary Kay lived it, but from what I've read, Bill did a better job than, for whatever reason, how that ages. But we'll use someone like Josh McDaniels. You know, he's in Denver. It doesn't go well. I, I, I think smart people would all agree that the next head coaching job Josh McDaniels gets is going to go a lot smoother and he'll be ready. So how these two things connect is this. 
I just don't think Baker was ready to have a player like Odell. He just wasn't that quarterback yet. Odell leaves, Baker matures, blossoms into the, a calm field reader and operator of a system, and now he's ready for that piece. So now I think you bring Odell Beckham back in, Mr. Andrew Barry, and you see if, if slash when and how Baker can take that next step, throwing to his allocation of B receivers, you know, the, the Richard Higgins and Jarvis Landry will call Jarvis Landry a B plus receiver, those nice weapons. But now Baker Mayfield is ready for the A minus a weapon in Odell Beckham jr. When he wasn't in 2019 or the first half of 2020, see what it looks like. Watch Baker take that next leap with Odell and your offense as a whole then goes to the next level with those two. I guess there's two points that really stand out to me. And the first one is sort of what you were just talking about Ellis Odell Beckham maybe represents the, the next step of this Kevin Stefanski offense that, you know, they came in, they installed it in this weird off season. They made it work. It took a month, two months to kind of figure it all out and put it all together. But we we've always heard, like, I think it was Drew Brees and Sean Payton talking about you get to go to that graduate level of an offense mm-hmm. when you have continuity, when you know what you're doing, and the Browns have never been able to do that. Baker has never been able to do that because he goes from Todd Haley to Freddie Kitchens. Now, obviously, Freddie's running Todd Haley's playbook, but then they bring in some air raid stuff with Todd Munkin. You know, he started off with Hugh Jackson. Now he's got Kevin Stefanski. He's never been able to get to that graduate level. So it sounds like the case you're making is Odell Beckham could maybe be the beneficiary. That connection could be the beneficiary of getting to that graduate level. Not to put words in your mouth, but it sort of sounds like that's what you're saying. What do you think about that, Mary Kay? Well, you know, I I agree with that. But when I look back to 2019, what I see was a mess of an offense. And I do believe that that set back Baker tremendously and it set back Odell tremendously. I mean, what they were trying to do, I mean, just kept keep throwing deep. I mean, they never used Baker and Odell in a way together that they could flourish. I mean, they just couldn't figure it out. Well, these guys would have figured that out. Even after the first, you know, five or six games that, that Odell played, I still think, uh, you know, that the percentage of Baker going deep to Odell, that still just wasn't really working very well. Uh, but I think they would have figured out, you know, get, get him the ball on sh- some shorter routes and, and do, you know, get the ball in his hands and let him run after catch, find other ways to get him open. I just think that maybe not so much Baker wasn't ready for Odell last year. Nobody was ready for the Freddie Kitchens offense. It was, it was horrible. I mean, it was just horrible. I mean, I maintain that if those two guys would have been together last year with a good coaching staff, that it would have come alive last year. So I think, you know, what, what happened at the bye week this year is they dug into the film. They dug into the film and they figured it out and they threw pages out of the playbook that, that Baker, you know, initially they, they, overestimated his ability, his ability to, you know, to throw from within the pocket, to drop back and just be that kind of drop back type of, you know, they realized, look, this isn't going to really work for him. We, we got to get more play action. We've got to get more boots. We've got to get more rollouts. We've got to get shorter passes. We've got to get more check downs. We've got to, you know, do more screen passes, all these things that they figured out. And so therefore, you know, I do think that, that, this year, if they come back 
that they will be able to make those guys work beautifully together. I mean, there's no way you can have a talent like Odell Beckham Jr. and not get a ton of production out of him. And these guys are smart enough and creative enough to do it. So I, I think it would be there. I really do. And I don't think that that Baker will you know, feel pressured or, or any of those kinds of things. I, I think now he's got enough confidence in himself in this scheme uh, that he kind of, he's going to know where he wants to go with the ball. And if Odell's the first read and it makes sense to go there, he'll do that. If that's not the case, I don't think he's going to have the ghost of Odell, you know, reigning over him saying, my God, I've got to get the football to Odell Beckham Jr. He's got enough maturity in the offense and in the scheme to figure it out. So if he does come back and the price of $15.75 million is not astronomical for, for a player of, of his capability. Now, do you wanna have 15.75 for Odell and almost 15 for Jarvis where you're talking about, you know, the majority of, I, I can't remember how much that is when you're talking about 30 of it's, <laughs> somebody do the math for me, I did it the other day, but it's, it's a large chunk of your salary cap. And you might not want that much wrapped up in those two guys, but 1575 is not way too much to pay for an Odell Beckham Jr. It's just not. I mean, if you look at the top paid receivers in the NFL and you match that number up with talent and, and ability, it's not, it's not too much. Uh, so I, I think they could make it work. And again, these are all the reasons why we think uh, we're making the case for not trading him. These are some of the things. Real quick, Mary Kay just solved the puzzle there. I, I'm. This is why she's so good at what she does. She's. It's. I wish I would have said it first. She mentioned what they did on the bye week, and I think that's. It, I think it really is that simple. And I, I want listeners to understand this about bye weeks. It's not just about players getting healthy and resting. And when coaches come out and say we self scouted, that's not just coach speak. And I'll use this as an example. You can use your own team as an example, as the Browns' offense and Baker Mayfield hit another level after their bye week. But I think the better example is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They didn't have their bye week till week 13. It was right after their week tel- week 12 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. They didn't lose another football game. And in those Super Bowl pressers, Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, and I believe one of the receivers, I think Mike Evans, all mentioned the bye week and how they said exactly what Mary Kay just said. We ripped out what wasn't working and double installed what was working. And it got them to the Super Bowl. When we look at the Browns, you're going from a Freddie Kitchens offense to no offseason programs, to a, a shortened training camp, to no preseason, to playing football games. You give Odell an opportunity to have that bye week to let Kevin Stefanski self scout with Odell in the, the offense. I think it takes care of itself. Mary Kay just solved the puzzle. And I think that's what we would tell Andrew Barry if he did give Mary Kay a call here about not trading Odell. One other really good example, too, of that is the Philadelphia Eagles, you know, guy that's obviously in the news when they won the Super Bowl, they basically had to get Nick Foles ready to play. And they used that bye week in the playoffs. Um, I want to say it was Kevin Clark from the ringer that wrote this. Somebody wrote a story about it. They basically used that bye week as like a second training camp and they had really physical practices and they had to basically get. And, and that's a big reason they were able to get Nick Foles ready to kind of lead that team into the playoffs and, and to the Super Bowl. So yeah, the, the bye week is really important. If you're a smart, good coaching staff, right. you're going to take advantage of it. The, the one other point I wanted to make, and you know, I'll see what you guys think about this real quickly before we move on, 
it almost feels a little bit because there's this clear line with Baker Mayfield. It feels a little bit like they sort of had to prioritize rebuilding Baker before they could really just let everything else loose. And like you kind of said, Mary Kay, Odell probably would have benefited from that had he been able to be on the field. But look, you go to the second half of Indianapolis, the Pittsburgh game, and then the first quarter of that Cincinnati game before Odell got, or when Odell got hurt, but that entire first quarter. Baker was a mess. And then the line, it just flips. And I don't think it's all because of Odell. I just think they had to rebuild Baker first before really anything else could take off. Yep, I, I 100% agree with you on that. And that's why, uh, as you guys mentioned, they went through and they studied every single one of his interceptions. They pointed out to him, here is what you're doing. Here's what you're not seeing. Here's where you need to look. Here's your keys and your IDs that you need to be looking for. Here's the throwaways you need to be doing. Here's the checkdowns you need to be looking for. So these are things that they needed to do to solve and correct him. And also then here's how we're going to support you with, with more play action, with more running game, with more boots, you know, all those kinds of things. So you're right, Dan, I think that, uh, that they needed to solve Baker Mayfield and get him on track and get him feeling good. And I think he had a lot of input in that as well. I think uh, that he was able to go to them too and say, here's what I feel comfortable with. I think the play action was a big thing. I don't think they were using it enough in the beginning. Uh, I think he was able to say, get me out to the left, uh, you know, get me out some to the right and, and where I can see what's going on out there and, you know, let me throw from out there, even though it, it didn't necessarily jive with what they always wanted to do in the running game. I, I still think that, that they listened to him on, on doing some of that. And so, yeah, I think that that was a huge part of it. The other thing, if we're still, on, and we are still trying to make the case for not trading Odell, one of the things that I would look seriously into is what does he want? What does he want? You have to sit down with him and with his representatives and you have to see if he's willing to, to continue to pour his heart and soul into being here and if he wants to make a go of it here and if he feels like he and Baker are, are going to be a great match together. Because if, if he doesn't feel that way, then I think that maybe you do think about some other things. Uh, but if he is, if he really likes what he sees here, if he really loves Kevin Stefanski, which it seems to be like he does. I mean, he, he was all about him being coach of the year. Uh, he's very, he got close to Kevin Stefanski. They have, have developed a good relationship. They text back and forth about things. They talk football. Kevin Stefanski believes in him and listens to him. If Odell is 100% on board and committed, and we know he wasn't that last year. I mean, we know he, I mean, it was a very, difficult and stressful year on him and everybody else offensively. But all that's changed. And if he really sees that he could be an integral part of this offense and that he can shine and help this team win and be used in so many different ways, throw the ball, uh, run the ball, and some of the other things that we've seen him do, then, you know, I think that goes on the plus side of the ledger. Let me stay here and show you guys what I think I can do in this offense. Okay, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll do the other side of this. We'll make the case to trade Odell Beckham Jr. Back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, Dan Lobby, Mary Kate Cabot, and Ellis Williams. 
we just made the case for keeping Odell Beckham Jr. Now we're going to go to the other side here as we kick off our Bark Week of podcasts about Odell and all sorts of content on cleveland.com slash Browns. So my question here is, and we'll talk about both of these things, but my question here is, and I, we sort of talked a lot about this on the positive side in the first half of the pod, what's more important when you're making this assessment? Is it the fit or is it the money? Hmm. That's <laughs> a really question. good question. A really that, good question. That's, yeah, that, that's a really good question. I'm going to say the money right now, because when you're talking about fit, I think that in this particular offense, in this particular time period of Cleveland Browns offensive football, I think you could probably get the offensive job accomplished by bringing in another good young receiver who might not cost as much where you can get speed and some other elements that you might get from Odell. Now it's not going to be easy, but it's a really good wide receiver class. And it's also a good free agency class in terms for receivers because there are so many places to go with the football in this offense. And there are really not enough footballs really to go around for all the weapons that you have. I mean, look, you couldn't even really utilize Austin Hooper the way that, that you might want to in another offense. You really couldn't utilize Jarvis Landry the way that you might want to. Now you've got, you still have Richard. You've still got Donovan Peoples-Jones to get the ball to. You've got Kareem Hunt to throw the ball to. And even Nick Chubb. So I'm going to say fit because the, the, I'm going to say that the money is the, the key thing because you can find a guy that can come in and give you some things but, and you can get, find that guy for a lot less than $15.75 million. So I'm going to say the biggest factor would be the money. So Mary Kay, I'm going to throw it back to you real quick because I want to ask you this in re- regards to fit because I'll argue the fit side of it because I think that's slightly where I'm landing though. The money, I, I totally hear where you're coming from the money. Like eventually this is going to come due. eventually something's got to give, but you really piqued my interest on the stance you took regarding you don't feel that a rookie defensive end opposite miles Garrett could give the Browns truly what they need. Like in uh, trusting a young guy in that other edge as the, as the full-time starter is, would not be in the Browns best interest. I, does that same logic at all apply to a, the number one receiver on this offense? Like, even if they traded Odell and got a first for him, would you, or they draft a receiver at 26 as Odell's replacement, do you think that, do you trust that rookie or do those same hesitations come in just like you have them with trusting a rookie opposite Miles Garrett, such an important role? Well, that's a great question. And I think the reason why I would say, Uh, yes to the receiver. I think you could trust a first round receiver to come in and do the job because we've seen it plenty of times. If you do it right, if you get it right and you find that can't miss guy, I mean, look at Justin Jefferson, right? Right. I mean, you, you can find that guy and you can feel pretty confident that the, in most cases, in most cases, if you're trusting a really good personnel department, it translates pretty well, a receiver to, to the NFL. The guy's going to come in and he's also going to catch passes in here. It doesn't always work that way with pass rushers. You know what I mean? I mean, sometimes uh, a pass rusher and and there are formulas and you can go back and you you want to make sure that you had a couple of years of 
consistent production in college that you, that you perhaps had maybe even double digit sacks for back to back years. And a lot of times, if you did, you're going to come into the NFL and you're going to be able to do those kinds of things. But sometimes it takes a little longer to do that. You have to come in and you have to figure that out. Yeah. Now the top, right? I mean, the top guys can do it. I, I, I was mean, just going to say that. Yeah. Like if you're a Nick Bosa or a Chase Young, that's one thing, but you know, the Browns aren't picking two this year. Right. So those guys are almost can't miss prospects and you know, they're going to come in and they're going to be able to get that job done. But that's not always as, as easy to project in, into the NFL for so many different reasons. So I, I would say that I would trust a first round receiver to come in and be able to do that job for you, but you don't even have to, to draft one. I mean, you could, you could probably find one in free agency Interesting. and yeah. put the puzzle together so that you're coming up with a receiver room that can give you what you need that you can create mismatches and you can have some speed and you can have some possession and you can have some versatility. You know, you put the puzzle together and come up with what you need to get the passing game accomplished in the way that you want to. I think they could do it. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So I'll build off everything Mary Kay just said by by putting it this way. I don't think Odell in this in this Browns offense can reach what it could be without Beckham's price tag being a first rounder. And I, and I understand what you're saying about bringing in a, a free agent and and pulling the pieces together that way. But I and that's the problem. Like I don't know if Odell's market value coming off an ACL warrants a, a first rounder. That's probably an entirely different podcast and conversation. But to get to the level that this offense needs to get to, I think that first round talent receiver is how you answer the fit question. Like it needs to be a, a dynamic guy. And Justin Jefferson's a great example. You know, you find him in, in, in the teens there where the Vikings landed, I think 16, something like that, 18, him and Jalen Rager around there. And, and had two very different seasons to your point, you know, like that's one guy you can't get is Rager, but then you hit the home run in Justin Jefferson. And that's where this Browns offense just needs to try to flirt with that next level by getting a, 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 a freak, you know, and this wide receiver class, much like last year, as we keep referring to Justin Jefferson, who was the fifth receiver picked in that draft, by the way, it's loaded. This is a deep class and it's deep, like through, you know, round five, it, perhaps into round six, depending on how stuff falls, where the Browns found a guy like Donovan Peoples-Jones last year. But what my point is that you can't get another Donovan Peoples-Jones and then Odell Beckham Jr. is out the door. That's the fit part that I think is, is most important because this Browns team, though, you're not going to call them like, oh, the Browns are all in. They're pushing their chips to the center. Like, I don't see this front office ever talking like that because they're just too smart. They're going to have one foot in the present for winning and one in the future for building which means they're just in it. You know, they're going to, they're trying to make the playoffs, get in the tournament and see what happens. Maybe Patrick Mahomes misses the, the final 20 minutes of a playoff game again. And all of a sudden you have another shot at going to the FC championship, right? Like they're, they're just right there. And because they're right there and you just never know what could happen when you do make the tournament, they must have that dynamic guy. And if it isn't Odell Beckham jr, then it's gotta be a first round receiver because that's just the, next best way to guarantee you're getting something at least close 
to just the explosive talent that I think is not, I think we know is Odell Beckham Jr. And there's about only like 10 of them in this league. You, you both made the point in the first half of the pod, right? And I think we all said something along these lines that the Browns were going to miss Odell Beckham Jr. Eventually. It just so happened to be in the last game they played. So I, to me, I actually think maybe it's a fit and money thing. I'm going to play both sides here. Here we go. Because I, I've really been thinking about this. So we're talking about, because Rashard Higgins comes up a lot. And it's not completely related to Odell Beckham. I'm not saying Higgins would be Beckham's replacement. But every Browns fan probably wants this team to pay Rashard Higgins. I don't know what that would cost. I don't know if we're talking five, six million dollars. Or they want the Browns to go and sign Curtis Samuel or something like that, make a move like that, right? But at some point, you've got to look at your roster and say, wait a second, we only play three receivers at a time. I mean, you guys just did a whole got to watch the tape on how much they use 13 personnel. Right. And, you know, they create mismatches out of that all the time. I'm looking at sharp football stats. He's got one play all season where the Browns had four receivers on the field. And if I'm not mistaken, because I was sort of tracking this as well, I think they're counting the fake punt against Baltimore is having four receivers on the field. Yep. So there's a chance that you might go back through every single Browns play and not see four receivers on the field at all. Now, maybe there's one or two outliers that I, that I can't think of. So at some point you're paying all this money to Odell Beckham and Jarvis Landry, and then maybe you want to pay Richard Higgins, or maybe you want to go out and sign a free agent. It just doesn't make sense because you don't play that many receivers. And I know they kind of churn through guys during the game and you'll see, you know, Donovan Peoples-Jones on the field in a spot and then Jarvis Landry in that same spot in a later play. But ultimately, you've got to start putting your money in how you're running your offense. So your offensive line, your tight ends, your running backs, whatever that looks like, your quarterback. So I think it's actually a combination of the two. Like at some point, you just can't have all this money tied up in receivers that you're not going to use and you're not going to have on the field for – you know, they almost have to be on the field 80% of the time, but that's just not how this offense works. Yeah. And I think that um, I have every reason to believe that, and we've talked about this before, that even though Jarvis Landry only has a $3 million uh, dead cap hit for 2021, some people have speculated, oh, maybe, maybe they would do something about him. Well, that's not going to happen. Jarvis Landry is going to be on this football team in 2021. So you're willing to, to take on that almost $15 million cap hit for him and, and pay him uh, his full salary in 2021. So you really do have to decide, like you said, Dan, how much money do you want to have tied up in, in that receiver room when you are not a super receiver centric offense? Now you're a you're a pass-oriented offense as much as you are a run-oriented offense. It's a very balanced attack. But in terms of 11 personnel or three wides, that doesn't happen that much. Does anybody have off the top of their head the percentage of 11 personnel that this team yeah, is Yeah, I've, I've got the side up here. They did okay. run a little more 11 than I expected, but it wasn't very much. It was 44%, okay. which is a, a so, pretty low number. As you kind of scroll through, you don't see a lot of teams under 50 I was going to say, yeah. the, I bet the league average is well over 44. Oh, yeah. yeah most teams are over 50. A lot of teams over 60. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know. so, so, yeah, they're, yeah they're, I mean, 44 is a low number. So they're running the Shanahan Kubiak offense where you're just not in 11 personnel uh, all that much. And yet, 
again, having $30 million, almost $30 million, over $30 million actually, tied up in two receivers, two receivers, when the cap is $180 million, potentially going to fall to $180 million. That's a, a lot of money in, in those two guys when, once again, this is a spread the ball around type of offense. It's probably why Stefan Diggs was not all that happy in Minnesota, right? I mean, exactly, he yeah. wanted to be in an offense where he could go put up the kind of numbers that he did in Buffalo this year, because that's the kind of offense that it is where you, you can become that superstar. Well, that's not what, that's not what this is. So do you necessarily need that superstar receiver that's going to cost you all that money? And if you figure out that you really don't and you can accomplish what you need to accomplish and possibly get a first round pick in return, why not go ahead and do that? Now, I still think, and maybe it's because I'm, I'm a, a fan of the type of talent that Odell Beckham Jr. has. I still think you can get a first round pick for him. I still think that somebody could view him as the piece that gets you over the top and into the Super Bowl or wins you the Super Bowl, right? I could still see Tom Brady going to Bruce Arians and saying, and Jason Light and say, get me that guy. Go get me that guy. Those guys love each other. Tom Brady and Odell Beckham Jr. They love each other. Um, uh, now, I've probably still got those shoes. Exactly. The goat got shoes. Those goat shoes. <laughs> I mean, could could they make it happen financially? I have no idea. But I mean, if those two could ever find a way to work together, I think they would. I think they would try to make it happen. I really do. And I I also think that Odell Beckham Jr. wants to finish out his career with a quarterback like that. I think he would love to play with a proven elite quarterback. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to play with Baker Mayfield because I think he probably would be perfectly happy coming back and being part of this offense again. But I don't know that for sure. I mean, if he had the chance to go play with an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady, I think he would love that or to go to be in a place where you can have a million zillion targets. We've heard him say it, right? We heard him say it on the on a podcast last offseason that he would love to have 2,000 targets and 150 catches and 20 touchdowns, right? I mean, I'm exaggerating, but he that's what he wants. He, he wants to be the man. He wants to be the goat, working with a goat. So uh, once again, I think you need to sit down with Odell and I think you need to sit down with his agent and I think you all need to come up with something that you're all happy with. Everybody should be happy in this situation. You don't want an unhappy Odell Beckham Jr. I mean, if you have a happy Odell and he's getting and he's producing the way that he wants to and it's all working out, then that's fine. But he, he's made it abundantly clear that he wants to show the world what he can do every single week. And if this isn't going to be the place for that to happen and you can get a first round pick for him, then let him go be happy somewhere. And you guys find a way to make yourselves happy here. It's a great point. You know, he wants to be the goat with a goat while 
wearing goat shoes. Mary <laughs> Kate's right about that. She just says, and I'm glad she brought up Tampa. I'm glad she brought up Green Bay because I think one of the top five lessons this 2020, 2021 NFL playoff run taught me, you know, cause we, we really do. It, 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 the NFL is almost becoming NBA. Like we're, you got to make the tournament, of course, but then we really got to separate what happens in the regular season, what happens in the playoffs. It, it just becomes a different game. So matchup driven and specific. One of the top five lessons was how important the wide receiver position is for winning football. Let's just look at the last four teams. Mary Kay already mentioned the two NFC teams, right? Tampa uh, from Andrew Brown to Mike Evans to Chris Godwin to they drafted Tyler Johnson in, in the third or fourth round that one of the uh, top big 10 receivers last year coming out of Minnesota, Scotty Miller made some plays. Okay. The Packers had Devonte Adams and then get knocked for not having more receiver talent for losing that football game. And then in the AFC, we already mentioned Stefan Diggs, And then of course the chiefs are loaded with uh, Travis Kelsey, Tyree kill. Because of that, I, I think Mary Kay is right. You know, there are, there will be someone who pays for Odell if they think he could be that piece because this postseason showed how, you just can't have enough of them. All of a sudden, you just can't have enough from them. Like it went from Colin Coward calling receivers icing to that take couldn't have been any more inaccurate. They swing games when everything, because all these teams are so good, right? What puts you over the edge? Odell is that type of guy that puts you over the edge. And after seeing all these receivers eat like that in the playoffs, he already was hitting at it a, a year ago, like Mary Kay said. I bet he's even more hungry now to slide into a role like that after seeing you know those eight guys I just named doing that this postseason. Okay. So real quick here, we'll wrap it up with this. What's the absolute minimum that you're taking back in return for Odell Beckham jr. Yeah, it's, it's easy for me. I mean, it's it, a first has to be involved. And for everything Mary Kay just said, like at first I was heading like, Oh yeah, the ACL. No, she, she convinced me. It's gotta be a first <laughs> for both reasons. The market is there because everything I just laid out with the, the case that the receiver position made in the playoffs and then the Browns need to replace him to continue to build their offense. And I think the best and the, the, the way you decrease the margin of error there is just by getting a first round talent. You're drafting a third round guy or second round guy and thinking you can have a rotating door of a rookie and down in people's Jones and Kaderil Hodge to replace Odell Beckham Jr. Not going to happen. It's got to be a first round pick. And, you know, I was trying to look this up and I didn't have time to do it but before we jumped on here real quick, but Amari Cooper, they were, the Raiders were able to get a first round pick for, for Amari Cooper, which I think was a mild surprise to, to some people at that point in, in his, in his career. Yep. I mean, a team will recognize the value of, I think of, of what an Odell Beckham Jr. can do for you. And I don't think that the ACL is going to be a huge factor because if you look at his Instagram and you look at his Twitter right now, he is so far ahead of schedule. He looks amazing. And the ACL isn't the death knell that it was, you know, six years ago, seven years ago, eight years ago, guys come back from the AC, torn ACLs and they excel and, and he just looks like a freak of nature right now. That is, he's recovering really, really well from that. So I don't think that's a deterrent. I don't think the money is a deterrent. I think a smart football team will be willing to make that kind of a deal. I would be surprised if, if somebody wouldn't. If for some reason somebody isn't willing to give you an outright first round pick, then maybe you can do a conditional pick that 
is a second round that improves to a first if he plays, you know, if he gets a thousand yards or whatever, uh, I would probably be willing to do something like that, but it's got to have the ability to turn into a first. I don't think I would do it for anything less than that. If, if you can't do it for that, then you keep him on this football team and, and have him be the superstar that he is. I'll throw a team at you guys. Cause I want to put it out there, but I'm, I'm with you guys. I think you're taking a first in part because the teams that would be trading for him, their seconds aren't as valuable. We're talking the back half of the second round, which is, and you get deep enough. You're talking mostly a third, essentially a third round pick. So I I think that's part of the equation. Like the, you know, some of these teams at the top of the draft just aren't going to, they aren't going to trade for Odell Beckham. It doesn't make sense for them. Even if they have a young quarterback, I think we've kind of seen maybe Odell's not the best fit for a young guy that that you don't know about yet. Let me throw this team at you. And this would be a second round pick. And I only, I only throw this team out there because everybody should remember the stories that came out uh, the last time the Browns played this team, San Francisco at number 11 in the second round. That's the highest team I can come up with in the second round that would maybe want to pull the trigger on a deal. Unless, you know, unless it's like Philadelphia or, you know, I don't know. There's not a lot of teams up here that I would Atlanta at the top of the second round, San Francisco, sitting at number 11. That's not a real high second rounder, but maybe you could get something next year too. I'm making the assumption the deal would happen before the draft, obviously in this case, but would that be something you would consider? I don't mind. Remember the Odell, Jimmy Garoppolo hug. (laughs) Right, right. I don't mind. Like, I really like the idea of that high second round pick. Like that is intriguing. I understand the 49ers as a, as just continue to be a sneaky, aggressive team. I wonder if it's a fit that would make sense with Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, I think the Niners need to figure out their quarterback situation to then know they can maximize Otto Beckham Jr. Because it just doesn't feel like the vibes there between Jimmy and Kyle Shanahan anymore. I mean, there's just real Jared Goff, Sean McVay vibes. Like, I'm sick of you. I need a new one. That's how it feels with these these two coordinators in Goff and in Shanahan and and or excuse me, and McVeigh and Shanahan and McVeigh got his wish. And I feel like Kyle's getting closer to getting his. So until they figure out the quarterback spot, I don't think they would address receiver, but if they get a guy that they're really happy about Odell being the missing piece there would, would be, I mean, it would make the Niners instant top four, top three team in the NFC. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, it's intriguing, but, but I agree with a little bit of a shaky quarterback situation I, I'm not sure that necessarily that that would work, but but I would consider it from a draft pick standpoint. Once again, if you could make it conditional and and have it improve, uh, I think I would try to hold as firm as possible on again having something that turns into a first round pick. And and if you don't do that, if you're willing to do it for less than that, I think you're really looking at it from an economic standpoint, and you're really saying okay, we're getting something decent out of this, but we are also uh, saving a ton of money on our cap. And that is very valuable to us. Yeah, Dan, I'll add to to your trade here. Like I'm really, I would be really intrigued by something like that second round pick in Debo Samuel. Like I I feel like, (laughs) you know, Brandon Ayuk is probably too expensive and, and then maybe the Browns have to throw a pick in, you know, they've got some, some extra third and fourth to play with and now things are getting complicated but I'd like that idea of recuperating a, a 
young receiver who's already kind of done some stuff in the league, but isn't a guy that'd be willing to upgrade for Odell. There we go. Both sides of the Odell Beckham Jr. trade talk. The first half, why you wouldn't. And the second half, why maybe you would to kick off Bark Week here, Odell Beckham Jr. If you missed any of our Miles Garrett stuff, go back and listen. It was capped off with a big non-quarterback draft. My team was a disaster. The more I think about it, we're 24 hours out from us actually doing this draft. And uh, Doug is in my head. My team was just an absolute <laughs> disaster of, of a team. So just skip over my picks. But anyway, go back and check that out on this feed if you're subscribed. And if you're not subscribed, get subscribed. And also check out Football Insider at cleveland.com slash browns. It's that blue banner right at the top of the page. So for Ellis and Mary Cam, Dan, thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs>